Amen. Well, good morning, Haynes Creek. How's everybody doing today? Good, good. It is good to be worshiping with you today. My name is Travis. I'm the pastor here. If it is your first time, I just want to say a special welcome to you. We are, we are so excited, so thrilled that you're here checking things out, worshiping with us. And I would love a chance just to reach out and, and thank you so much for your visit. Uh, so if you do me a huge favor and, and just let us know that you're here, you can do that two different ways. Uh, one, you can just pull out your phone right now and text the word welcome to that number. So all you got to do, just text welcome to that number. Uh, that lets us know you're here and it gives me a chance to follow up. Or we have our welcome cards right here on our table in the back and outside next to the coffee setup. Uh, so just take one of those cards, grab a pen right next to it, fill it out, and you can leave the card uh, right there on the table. Uh, but like I said, I just want a chance to reach out and say thank you so much for your visit. So if you do me that huge favor, I would really appreciate that. Uh, and before I go on, I just want to say a quick happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. Uh, the moms, spiritual moms, we love you. We are so appreciative of you. So thankful for who you are and all that you do. Thank you uh, for taking a part uh, of this day to, to join us in worship. We really do appreciate that. But happy Mother's Day. And on this Mother's Day, I want to I do uh, something a little different. I want to take a break from our current series. We've been going verse by verse through the book of Acts. We started that at the end of January. Uh, we're going to put that on pause today. And don't worry, we're going to get back to it next week. Next week, uh, we're going to carry it from verse 15 of chapter 5 all the way through the end of chapter 5. So make sure you're back here next week as we dig into chapter 5 and finish that out. But today... Uh, since it's Mother's Day, I want to take a moment and just uh, ex- look at and, and examine one of the many stories in Scripture that we see of faithful women of God. So I want to uh, take a story from 2 Kings chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles today, uh, go ahead and open up to 2 Kings chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 1 through 7. 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. If you don't have a Bible, it's all good. we got the verses on the screen Behind me, if you don't own a Bible, we have Bibles on the back table right there. I'd love for you to take one of those. Take that home as our gift to you. But 2 Kings chapter 4. And I think at times, I think at times, regardless uh, you know, who we are, man, woman, mom, dad, husband, wife, whatever, regardless of who we are, everyone everywhere can, can at times feel like we're, we're, we're carrying the weight of the world, right? Like we just got all these troubles, all these anxieties, all these cares and concerns. We just feel the weight of that, feeling like, you know, there's a bunch of people, a bunch of things that, that depend on us, that I've got to do all of these things. We just carry that weight. Or maybe for some of us, we, we feel this, this pressure, these pre- this pressure of expectations, whether it's just, you know, stuff that we put on ourselves or, or those that we feel from, from the world or those around us that we've just, you know, we've got to be the best. We've got to be the best. We've got to be the best mom. We've got to be the best dad. We've got to be the best uh, spouse. We've got to be the, the best Christian and church follower. And look, social media is like terrible for that because we, we, we only see like the really good stuff of social media. It's like, look at, look at my perfect, happy, amazing life. Like, you know, we don't know all the, uh, all the stuff that's going on in the background, right? We just see the best of that person. We, we constantly compare ourselves. So we put this pressure on ourselves. Man, I got, that, that's what a good spouse looks like. That's what a good Christian looks like. I, I got to do that, right? Like, so we put this pressure on ourselves. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we, we can all feel this to one degree or another throughout our lives. And the good news of the gospel, the good news of scripture and, and Jesus is that he doesn't want us to feel that at all. Right? He doesn't want us to feel the weight of the world. He doesn't want us to feel the weight of everyone's expectations. He doesn't want us to put this pressure on ourselves to constantly be the best and perform and constantly compare ourselves and see where we rank compared to other people. Jesus doesn't want that for us. 
So today, like I said, I want to take a break from Acts, and I want us to look at this, this widow and her example in 2 Kings chapter 4 and see what we can learn from her and what Jesus does want from us. If Jesus doesn't want these other things from us, what does Jesus want from us? So 2 Kings chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 1 through 7, and we'll spend our time talking about it. Starting in verse 1, it says, Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. But the creditor has come to take away my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what, what do you have in the house? And she said, Your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels, and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. And when the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. So what, a, what an incredible, powerful miracle that we see where God miraculously provides over abundantly to this widow in her time of need. So what are, what are some lessons we can learn from this widow's story and example? I want to give you three lessons today. If you're a note taker, I've got three lessons for us today about what Jesus wants from us that we can learn from this widow's story. So the first one, first one. Jesus wants your burdens. Jesus wants our burdens. It's the first thing we learn here. So in this passage, as we just read, we, we see a woman whose husband passes away. He dies, and, and he was uh, one of the prophets that, that you know, kind of served under Elisha. He's God's main prophet during this time. And we had other prophets that, that served and helped under him. And, and this man is one of them, and he dies, and this widow is left to care for her and her two sons on her own. And on top of her husband passing away, they, they had debts. And as we see in this story, this creditor comes and, and wants to take away her two sons into slavery. Now, this was, a, this was a very common practice at this time, during this culture, during this time period, where if, if you had debts and you couldn't pay, you would at times often have to sell yourself or you and your children into slavery, and you would work off that debt with the person that you owed. You'd work it off until you paid it in full. And that's exactly what's about to happen. And as a good mom, as a good parent, she's like, no, I don't, I don't want that for me and my kids. So she goes and it says she cries out to Elisha. She cries out to Elisha. She lets her need be known and she asks for help. And this is exactly what God wants us to do. He wants us to come to him and ask for help. And I think, you know, again, if we're being honest with those, I, I think often we feel that you know, God, God doesn't really want that. We feel like, no, I, I have to carry these burdens on my own. These are my problems. These are my cares. These are my troubles. Whatever it is, these are my things that I have to carry on my own. So we, we feel like we've got to carry all of our concerns, all of our fears, all of our anxiety all on our own. Or, or, or maybe it's, you know, we, we wrongly believe that, you know, God, God he, he's busy with a lot of things, right? Like our God, you know, he's not just sitting down going, oh, I wonder... I don't know what I'm going to do today. I don't really know. I guess I'll just control everything everywhere, right? No, like he's not bored, right? So we think, oh, you know, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to bother God, right? Like we're, we're like a little kid, like knocking on our parents. We're like, hey, can I? I need, like we're with this timid little child, like asking for help, and that's, 
That's not how God sees it. But sometimes we think, no, I don't, I don't want to bother God. I don't want to, I don't want to you know, concern him with what I got going on. I don't want to bug him. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't really want me to ask about this. He doesn't really care about what's going on in my life. This is just a small little thing that God doesn't, he doesn't really care about. And that's just not true. That's just not true. That's not what Scripture tells us. God wants us to cry out to him just like this widow did. He wants, to, he wants us to bring our burdens to him. We're, we're not meant, we're not designed or created to do that on our own. Um, so uh, recently, we've been trying to do some yard work, kind of spruce up our yard, you know, as you do around springtime. And, and something with our backyard, I think we're, we're kind of up against some woods, and there's just a lot of shade. And the good people that created our, our house, the original part, they, they planted grass that thrives in sunlight. So they planted that in the shade, and now it's all dead. Now it's all dead, and there's just a bunch of mud in our backyard. So when we moved in, we were like, oh man, we've got to We've got to figure this out. Uh, so over the years, we've tried to add mulch and, and this white rock to cover the mud to just make it a little bit better for our kids. We're like, we're always outside. We're always outside, uh, either in our backyard or front yard. We just don't want them traipsing around in mud because guess where that mud ends up? It ends up in our house. All right, and they're not cleaning it up. We're cleaning it up. So we, we've been trying to get rid of some of the mud. And what we've what we've done is we've bought these big bags of mulch, these big bags of rocks, and we kind of, we bring them back to our backyard, and we kind of lay them out, make it look good, all that good stuff. And I, and I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, man, Travis, you seem like a really strong guy, so I'm sure you've got no problem. Why are y'all laughing? That's messed up. You seem like a really strong guy. I'm sure you can just carry those with no problem. Well, no, I know. This is going to be shocking. I'm not that strong. And it, we all get that, and that's why you guys are laughing. I mean, just don't tell my kids, because they actually think that I'm strong. I don't want to shatter that quite yet, so just don't tell them. But anyways, obviously I can't carry, I mean I could, but I'd be worn out, right? Like you're dragging all that stuff from your car to the backyard. No, I don't want to do all that. So I, I bought a wheelbarrow a couple years ago. You buy a wheelbarrow, and here's the great thing about a wheelbarrow, right? Like you can load that thing up with a bunch of weight, and all you got to do is push it. All you got to do is push it. That's awesome. It does all the hard work for you. You just push it back to the backyard, and you dump it out. It's awesome. I love my wheelbarrow because it makes my life a lot easier. I like, I don't have to carry all that weight on my own. That's exactly what Jesus wants for us. He doesn't want us to carry all the weight on our own. He doesn't want that. Look at some of these passages that we see Jesus talking about. This Matthew 11, 28 through 30. He says to this, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. And at times, that's exactly how this life can feel, right? Like we're just laboring on and on, and we're, we're just weighed down. And what does Jesus say? He says, Come to me, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's what Jesus tells us. He says, hey, give me, give me your weight. Give me all the stuff that you have going on. Give me, let me take that off of you, and I'm going to make it a lot of you. I'm going to give you my burden, which is, which is much lighter. Let me take the hard stuff. Let me take the heavy stuff. He wants us to come to him. And look at Philippians 4, 6-7. How, how do we do that? Philippians 4, it says, do not be anxious about anything. Usually what, what we see when we say that, it, we read, be anxious about everything, right? Like that's typically, at least for me, that's typically how I operate. Be anxious about everything. No, Jesus says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So Jesus wants our burdens. He wants our troubles. He wants our fears. He wants our questions and concerns in life. He wants all of that. And the way we bring that to him is through prayer. We come to this, this God of the entire universe, 
And we get to come and, and bring all of our troubles. Through prayer, we get to bring all of our troubles, all of our stress, all of our fears, all of our anxiety, all, all that we have going on, all the things that we're struggling with right now. We get to bring all of those and dump them at the feet of Jesus. See, the, the widow cried out to the prophet Elisha. And Christians, believers in the room, you and I get to cry out to the greatest prophet, Jesus Christ, the one who upholds this universe by the word of his power, that Jesus. He is, he is bigger and greater than anything we have going on, right? He can handle it all. And he says, bring it all to me. I don't care how big, how little, how trivial you think it might be. Bring it all to me. Bring it all to Jesus. He wants us to come from, to come to him just like this widow and ask for help. Ask for help. Jesus loves doing this. He loves coming into our mess and working it all together for his good and his glory. He loves doing that. He loves it. And all we got to do is, is come to him and ask for help. Charles Spurgeon, a great pastor, said this when, when preaching about this very passage in 2 Kings. He, he says this, he says, my conviction is that we do not pray enough. Now, I'm not going to make you raise your hands, but I think we could all agree that we don't pray enough, right? We could all pray more, but listen to what he says here. I do not, by this remark, measure our prayers by time, but I mean that we do not ask enough of God. His point is, is that by, by not praying enough, what, what he means by that is, is our prayers are too small. Our prayers are too small. We kind of come to God and we're like, hey, you know, if you, you know, Lord, if, if you have time, like, I appreciate some, some help. If it's not, it's not too trouble, you know, it, you know, if, if it be, in, you know, according to your will, like, we, and those are all good things, right? We should pray according to God's will. But sometimes we, we do it in this timid approach where we're like, I don't really know. I'm like, Lord, do you, do, can you help maybe if you want? Like, no, he wants us to say, hey, Jesus, I need your help with this. Help me out. God, come through in this moment, in this situation. Come to your thing. Like, that's what he wants for us. We're told in scriptural, Scripture that, that, that we need to come and ask. We, we knock, we seek, we, we ask Jesus for help. And he tells us we don't have things because we're not asking. So what should we do with that? Ask. Ask all the more. Ask and pray big prayers and bring everything to Jesus. He wants it all. He wants to step in to whatever we have going on and work in it and relieve us of all of that weight. He wants to take it on. So pray, ask, dump all of our cares at the feet of Jesus. All right, so we see from the widow, first lesson, is that Jesus wants our burdens. The second thing we see is that Jesus wants empty vessels. Jesus wants empty vessels. So the widow asks for help, right? She cries out to Elisha for help and lets her need be known. And look at again at, at, at Elisha's response in verse two and three. He says, and Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. And he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels and not too few. So he says, you need help. What, what, what do you have? What do you have? And she says, I've got nothing. I've got nothing except this jar of oil. And the word she uses for that tells us that it was, it was a tiny jar of oil, most likely uh, anointing oil that somebody would, would use for a funeral purpose, something like that. So really, I mean, when she says nothing except a jar of oil, what she means is I have nothing. I have nothing. She's got this tiny little jar of oil. That's nothing. 
She can't do anything with that. She can't make any money off of that. She has nothing. And what does is, what is Elisha tell her to do? He says, go borrow more of nothing. Go get more stuff that's nothing, right? Go get empty vessels. Borrow a lot of vessels and make sure they're empty. And that's the key. Empty vessels is the key here. Now, this, this woman he could have said, hey, go, go to your neighbors and, and ask for help. Ask for some vessels of oil. And I'm sure, you know, some really nice neighbors, if she came to them, were like, hey, I need, I need vessels for oil, but they got to be empty. And like, no, I've got, I've got oil right here. Here, you have as much oil as you need. And now she's in the awkward position of going, no, I, I need empty vessels. I need empty. I don't, I don't need your oil. I, I need empty vessels. Or, you know, hey, here's a, here's a vessel, but it's, it's like half full. There's a third left. Like, we don't want to be wasteful, right? Like, maybe if we just collect enough of a little bit used vessels, then we can make a full vessel, and then you can sell that. No, no, no. She, she needs empty vessels. Empty vessels. This is the key. Empty vessels. And she brings these empty vessels before God, and what does he do? He does what only God can do. He takes this tiny little bit of nothing, this tiny little bit of oil, and he fills a bunch of empty vessels. We don't know how many she got, but Elisha said, not too few. Don't get a little bit, get a bunch of them. And we know it must have been a lot because at the end of it, she's able to sell all of that oil to pay off her debts and then live off the rest. Like God provided over an abundance of what she needed. So there's a lot of vessels, a lot of empty vessels, and that's all she had to bring. All she had to bring to Jesus was nothing, was empty vessels. And this is what Jesus wants from us. This is what Jesus wants from us. Now, look, this is difficult for us because I think it's just so backwards from the way we typically think. We typically think in terms of what do, what do I bring to the table, right? Like, what, what can I bring? What can I offer? What can I do to kind of make this situation better, right? Like, that's what we tend to to think of. How can I use what I have to accomplish something, right? Like that's, that's kind of hardwired into our brains from an early age. Now, uh, so I've been trying to, you know, we've just had some, some things around the house just kind of go out and I've had to fix them. I'm not the most handy person in the world, but thankfully, praise God for YouTube instructional videos. I've grown a lot in this area and I'm very proud of myself. And I'll be honest with you, when I put something together or fix something, I feel more like a man than any other part of my life, right? So I'm very proud of myself. So one of the things that broke one of the things that broke recently was this fan on our back porch. And like I said, we're outside all the time. So it's really nice to have a fan kind of blowing, especially, I mean, I guess at some point we're going to get to summer. I'm not really sure what's going on with the weather now, but at some point we will get to summer. It will be hot outside. Praise the Lord. Looking forward to that. And we'll need this fan. So we got a new fan and I, and I put a new fan uh, on our back porch this week. Very proud of myself. Uh, but here's the thing. When, when you get something to put together, there's, there's typically two types of people in the world. There's those that uh, treat the instruction manual like part of the packaging that just needs to be thrown away immediately. And there's others that treat it as a sacred document that needs to be followed to a T, right? I'm not going to make you raise your hands about who's who, but, but I'm, I'm the second one. I'm like, I will, I will pour over that instruction and I will make sure I follow every single step of it exactly as it says. So that's how I'm wired. Now, one of the things that, that you find in an instruction book when you get something is, you know, it tells you tools required, right? Like sometimes you gotta, you gotta bring some tools to the table to, to get this done, to accomplish what you've set out to do. So same with the fan, right? I had to I had to go get my screwdrivers, I had to go get my drill, I had to go get my wire cutters and electrical tape and those kind of things. I had to go and get that. It didn't, it didn't come in the box. I had to bring that to the table to accomplish this. 
And so often, that, that's the mindset that we bring into our relationship with Jesus. It's like, hey, hey, Jesus, look at all these tools that I brought to the table. Look at how smart I am. Look at how gifted I am. Look at, look at, look at how, how well I do these things, right? Like we, just, we just list off our resume to Jesus as if, like, of course, why would, he, why would he not use me, right? Of course he would. Why would he not pick me for his team? Look how awesome I am, right? Like, that's, that's, that's the underlying mindset that we come to Jesus with. And it's, it's almost like we know that this verse isn't in Scripture, uh, or we should know that this verse is in Scripture, but so often people point to it when they talk about Christianity. It's, you know, God helps those who help themselves. There's no verse that says that in Scripture. And those of us that, you know, maybe growing up in church were like, yeah, I know that, Travis. Of course there's no verse like that in Scripture. But how often do we operate with that mindset? And I'll be honest, like when I was doing some research on this passage and seeing how others approached it, just kind of get some ideas out there, I was just taken aback by how many sermons were like, look at this little jar of oil that she brought and God used it and multiplied it. Look how awesome it is. Like even, even the little things we bring to God, like just bring whatever you have to God and he'll do these great things. No, what she brought to God was nothing, nothing. And what did he tell her to go get? More of nothing, more empty vessels. That's what we bring to God. This is not God going, hey, Travis, what, what can you do? Let me, let me see some things that you can do. Oh, cool, you're, you're good at this. All right, yeah, I'll, I'll use that. I'll, I'll do that, sure. What, is, what does Jesus want from us? What does he require of us? Empty vessels. Empty vessels. He doesn't need us to bring anything to him to accomplish things. He doesn't need us to be the best Christian out there, the best church member, the best spouse, the best parent. He doesn't heap a bunch of burdensome expectations on us. He doesn't need our talents, our gifts, our abilities. He doesn't need any of that. What does he want? Empty vessels. Empty vessels. If we really want to serve Jesus, if we truly desire to be a, a godly man, a godly woman, a godly husband, wife, father, mother, or Christian, whatever it is, if we truly want to follow Jesus, then we have to come to him as an empty vessel. We have to come to him emptied of anything that we might think we can bring to the table. Just with our hands open, say, Jesus, use me however you want to. I've heard it said before that, that Jesus cares nothing about our ability, but he cares everything about our availability, right? That's what he wants from us. He doesn't need our resume. He doesn't need a list of skills that we're good at. He just needs us to be here as an empty vessel ready to be used by him. So we need to empty ourselves. We need to empty ourselves of the pressure and the comparing that we constantly do throughout our lives. We need to empty ourselves of all the, all the pride and self-reliance. And I don't know about you, but that is a daily need for me. Empty yourselves of the pride and self-reliance that we so live in. Empty ourselves of our, of our independence. Empty ourselves of our need for control. And we have to remind ourselves every moment of every day that apart from Christ, we have nothing. Apart from Christ, we have nothing. I love how, how Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 because it's so humbling for us. He says this starting in verse 26. He says, for consider your calling. And by that, what he means is, is consider your salvation. Consider your salvation, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. 
But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I said, this, this should be so humbling for us. Who, who are the ones that Jesus, is, Jesus saves here? The foolish, the weak, the low, the despised, people not of noble birth, right? He just doesn't save us because he's like, oh, wow, Travis, man, I can, I can really use these things that you bring to the table. I can really use these gifts, man. That'd be awesome. Yeah, let me, let me use these things and do some really cool stuff with it. Does he do that? Yeah, but it's not because of me. It's not because of what I bring to the table. It's not because of what you bring to the table. Because guess what happened then, right? Because then we can go, look at what I've done. Look at what I've done. Of course God would use me. Look how amazing and awesome I am. Look, look at my resume here. Look at all these skills that I bring to the table. Look at all these tools that I bring to the table. But Paul says, no, remind yourself that apart from Christ, you have nothing because let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. If we have anything to boast about, it's all because of Jesus. It's all because of him. And look, just real quick before we move on to the next point, why, why did God use empty vessels? Why did God require her to bring empty vessels? Why would that matter? Why, why, why couldn't she bring half full things of oil, right? Like, why couldn't she do that? It's because he wanted to increase her faith and trust in this moment. He wanted her to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God was the one who did this, that God was the one who miraculously provided, that this was his doing, this wasn't her doing. This wasn't because of anything she had or she did. This was all Jesus. So then when she would go and tell the story, it'd be, look what God did. Look at what he did. Not look what I did. Not look how good I am. Look how good and amazing our God is. This is exactly what Jesus wants to do for us. We are to be empty vessels. And, and when we do that, when we empty ourselves of this pride and self-reliance in our lives, this is when he will fill us and use us for his purposes. This is when he will, he will increase our faith and our trust in him. And we can go, look what God did, y'all. Look what God did. He did that. That's all him. That's all because of him. So Jesus wants our burdens. Jesus wants empty vessels. The third thing that we see, and we'll end here, Jesus wants our presence. Jesus wants our presence. Elisha told the widow to get empty vessels, but he also told her to do something else, right? Catch this in, in verse four. He also wanted her to do something else. He said, when you get the vessels, then what do you do next? Then you go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all of these vessels. So go and get the vessels and then go to your house and shut the door. Now, why would he say that? Doing that is a, is a symbol for blocking out everything else that we have going on and focusing on being in the presence of the Lord. Jesus tells us in his disciples in Matthew chapter 6, he tells us something similar. When he's teaching his disciples to pray, what does he say? Don't be like the Pharisees and the hypocrites who are on the street corner praying and making a big deal and saying, hey, look at me. No, he says, go in your house, go in your closet, shut the door behind you, 
and then pray. So it's this symbol for us blocking out whatever we have going on and focusing on being with Jesus, just being in his presence. So he tells her to go shut the door behind her. And the reason we need to, to focus in here is because it's so easy it's so easy, especially in our fast-paced Western culture. We're just doing a bunch of stuff. It's so easy to just focus on our doing, right? It's so easy to focus on the things that we do or the things that we have going on, right? And I get it. We're all busy. We've all got responsibilities, you know? We've, we've all got, you know, jobs or families. We've got unending chores. I don't know about y'all, but like the laundry never ends at our house. I don't know how I feel like we get it all put away. And the next day, there's this big pile that needs to be washed and dried and folded and put up again. Like it's just never ending, right? We've got stuff to do. We've got kids to take care of, lunches to pack. We've got groceries to get, meals to make. We've got, oh, on top of that, I need to serve and volunteer at church right? We've got all of our to-do lists and things that we need to do around the house and things we need to do around the heart, right? We've got, we got stuff to do. So it's easy to become consumed with our doing, to become consumed with our doing. And what happens when we do that, when we become so focused on our doing, we allow that to define us. We become defined by our doing. We find our identity in all that we do. I mean, think how often when, when you meet somebody new, how often do you get to the question, what do you do for a living? I mean, it's got to be one of the first like three or four questions, right? As soon as you meet somebody, you, you just, it's just natural to do that because we're so focused on what we do. That's, that's a big part of our lives, right? It's a big part of our lives. There's no, there's no shame in that. It can become a dangerous thing, absolutely. But, but we, we're, we just, that's just how we live, right? We're just focused on our doing. Now, for me, I actually do the opposite. I try to, at all costs, avoid that question when I meet somebody new. And here's why, and I've told you guys this before, uh, but it happened again recently. Uh, whereas when I tell people what I do, I, I'd say I'm, I'm a pastor. There's two things that usually happen. One is they just, they just tell me their entire life story. It's like, oh, you're a pastor. Well, let me confess all these things that I have going on. I'm like, bro, I didn't need to know that, man. I just, I just learned your name. I don't need to know all that. Keep that to yourself next time. So that, that happens sometimes. Far, off, far more often, though, it's the second thing that happens. When I tell them a pastor, things get real awkward and real quiet. And I can just see this wheel start like, oh, did I say something that was wrong? Don't you know? Like, like oh, here we go again. So uh, uh, recently, we, my wife and I and the kids, we, we went out to Arizona uh, at the beginning of April for spring break. It was this big family trip. Uh, now, now the, the reason we went out there was a couple of years ago, uh, my wife and I actually planned this big Italy trip for her and I. It was our 10-year wedding anniversary. We saved for years, saved money, a bunch of airline miles, a bunch of points, had it all scheduled out. It was going to be this awesome trip, and it was planned April of 2020. I know, yeah. So obviously that got canceled, right? The whole world shut down right before we were about to leave. Uh, so the whole world shut down, so we've just been sitting on all these airline miles. So we finally like, okay, we're never going to Italy whatever. We'll go, we'll see it in the new heavens and new earth, I guess. But anyways, we're like, all right, we, we got to do something with these things. So we, we planned this Arizona trip and we, we were excited to bring the kids out there. And again, I don't know about you guys, uh, but there are, there are some folks in the world who, when you go on vacation, whether you're staying at a hotel on a cruise or whatever, you're seeing some of the same people on a regular basis. Some folks love to make new friends on vacation. How many of you in here like to make new friends when you're on vacation? Raise your hands. It's okay. It's okay to be honest about it. You're the high extroverts, all right? High extroverts in the room, you love making friends with just random strangers. My wife's like that. She just makes friends everywhere she goes. 
I'm far more introverted, and I'm like, there's no reason for me to be talking to these strangers. I, I, don't want, I don't want to know anything about you. You don't need to know anything about me. I'm just trying to enjoy my vacation and not make new friends. But my wife loves making new friends, loves meeting people, and our kids do that, right? Like, you're on vacation with kids. Kids just make friends wherever they go. Like, it's just natural. So when we're at the pool of this, this hotel, and our kids are playing with us, one group of kids, and finally, you know, as the kids are hanging out, the parents start talking, and we're getting to know them. They're getting to know us. And, and at one point, my wife's like, oh, I got to go. I got to go put the na- baby down for nap. And then this guy's wife, uh, she leaves too. And now it's just me and this other guy. I'm like, I didn't set out to make friends with this guy today. But here I am, and I can't be rude. So I've got to actually engage this guy in conversation. Thankfully, he was a college basketball fan, and I could talk for hours about basketball. So we were doing that. Uh, but eventually, he wanted to shift conversations. And he started talking about what he did for a living. And I knew, I knew the question was coming. He asked where I went to college, which was Liberty University. So I kind of mumbled it under my breath. I just knew it. the next question was, uh, what do you do for a living? I was going to have to tell him I'm a pastor, and he's going to just be really awkward, and it's going to be terrible. Thankfully, one of our older kids, they didn't really, I can't remember which one. Thankfully, they needed me. I was like, I got to go, got to go, got to go talk to my kids over here. And I got out of it. It was awesome. Uh, it was a really big win for me personally. But anyways, I, I try to avoid that because it's just, it's just awkward talking about that. But, but so often, right, we find our identity in what we do, in what we do. And it's easy to bring that mindset into our relationship with God. And we define ourselves in terms of a follower of Jesus with what we do, right? By, by being a, a good church member, by being a good Christian, by, by serving and volunteering and giving and, and saying yes to everything that comes along. And look, look, that's a lot of good stuff, right? Like, as your pastor, I want you coming here every Sunday. I want you volunteering. I, I want you giving, right? Like, I want you doing these things. And so does Jesus. These are, these are good things. And all those, these tasks that we have, these responsibilities in life, yeah, I get it. Those are, those are things that have to get done. But the danger is when we allow ourselves to be defined by those things, to find our identity in the things that I do. To think that, that by doing these things in the name of Jesus, this is how I find value and worth. This is, is how I get love from Jesus. This is how I have acceptance and approval from him. This is how I finally feel that I'm enough, is if I do these things. And what can tend to happen is, is in the words of Pete Scazzaro, who wrote this amazing book, Spiritually Healthy, uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. That's the book. It's, it's awesome. It's great. He, one of the things he says is we, we often use God to run from God. And what he means by that is we just so focus on all of these things that we're supposed to do rather than Jesus. And I'll be honest with you, just in a moment of honesty with you guys, like, I struggle with that as a pastor. Like, it's so easy to just get consumed and, well, I got to preach every single week. Oh, we got to figure out, you know, discipleship. We got to do something with kids. We got we to, you know, plan events to get people together and fellowship and all. Like, there's, there's a lot to do with ministry. Right? There's a lot of things to do. And I can just so easily just focus on those and I forget about time with Jesus. I was reminded this week of the words of uh, old dead Scottish pastor, Robert Murray McShane, where, where he, he's talking about this very idea, and he says the best thing for, for his people, the people at his church, the best thing for them is his personal holiness. So what he means by that is, is the best way I can serve the people of this church is for me to spend time with Jesus. That's the same for us. You know what the, the most important thing your spouse needs is your personal holiness. The best thing your kids needs it's your personal holiness. The thing this church needs is your personal holiness. Is you spending time with Jesus. Like this, that's what Jesus wants from us, right? That's what Jesus wants from us. 
Jesus doesn't want us to do for him. He wants us to be with him. He doesn't want us to do for him. He wants us to be with him. We see this example in in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38. It says this, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now, if you've been in church in any, any number of years, you've probably heard that teaching. And I don't know about you, but there, there were times where, where I heard that taught, and, and Martha kind of gets maligned in this passage. Like, oh, don't be like Martha, don't be like Martha. Let's talk about Mary. And yes, that is the example that we're meant to draw, but, but Martha's not doing something bad, right? Like, she's doing something awesome. She is hosting Jesus in her house. She's hosting God himself in her house. And she's being an awesome host, right? Like she's taking care of everybody's needs. She's doing all this hospitality. Like she's doing a bunch of really good things, awesome things. But eventually she gets frustrated because her sister is supposed to be helping her out. is just hanging out with Jesus, just sitting at the feet of Jesus. And I love this. She, she gets on to Jesus about it, right? She's like, God, do, do you not care? Like she's, talk, he's talking to God himself. Like, do you not care about this? Like, what are you doing, Jesus? Like she's, she's yelling at Jesus. She gets on to Jesus. She's like, Jesus, do you not care? And look, this is eventually what happens for us. When we define ourselves by our doing, when we live for our doing, eventually we're going to crash. We're going to crash, we're going to get burned out, and we're going to get frustrated. Then we're going to start to blame God, and we're going to start to blame other people for those frustrations. It's said here that Martha was distracted with much serving. That word distracted means overburdened. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but, but how many of us right now in this moment would say, yeah, I, I, feel, I feel overburdened. I feel overburdened. Could be with, with your job, could be with your family, could be with kids, spouse, whatever's going on. We just feel weighed down and overburdened. And this is what Jesus says to her. He says, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. She tells, he tells Martha, you're focused on all these things, all, all, all these really good things, by the way. These really good things, but I only want one thing from you, and that's just to, just to spend time with you, just to be with you, just, just for you to be sitting at my feet in my presence. That's all I want. That's all you need. And Jesus says that, that Mary chose the good portion. Another way to say that would be that Mary made the right choice. Mary, she, she chose the better thing, and that was sitting at the feet of Jesus. And this is exactly what Jesus wants from us. He wants us to spend time with him, to to be like the widow, to shut the door to all of our troubles, all the things we have going on, and to just be with Jesus. Just be with Jesus, to give ourselves permission to say no to even some really good and important things, things that got to be done, that are still there, to say no to some of that so that we can say yes to the better thing, and that's Jesus. Say yes to spending time with him. And look, the danger is that we turn that into a task, right? Let me calendar this thing out. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to fit Jesus into my schedule. Like, okay, I get it. Type A people, I get it. I understand. I'm with you. But just just be with Jesus. That's all Jesus wants. Just be with Jesus. 
And look, to, to give yourself some grace, cut yourself some slack, right? Like, understand the season that you're in. Some of you right now, and praise God for it, you've got some extra time where you're like, man, I could really spend a couple hours every day in focused Bible study and prayer. If, if that's you, praise God, take advantage of that time. But I know some of y'all, some of y'all right now are like, Travis, you're telling me to like spend some extended time in, in the Bible. I got a toddler running through the house, and I'll keep eyes on him. He's going to burn the house down, okay? You don't understand. You don't get it. I, I do. I've got three little ones running around my house all the time. I understand. So, so know the season that you're in. Know the things that are going on. Give yourself some grace. And maybe it is finding these little moments and taking advantage of these little pockets, these little times where we can just focus in for Jesus, even if it's just a moment, even if it's just a few minutes. Choose the better thing. Choose to be with Jesus. That's what he wants from us. He doesn't want us to do for him. He wants us to be with him. So let's be with Jesus. As we close up, and, and I know, you know, today we, we honor our moms, we honor the important women in our lives who, who do so much for us, and we should do that, and we, we absolutely need to do that. So my prayer for, for you, mom, here, for the prayer for, for all of us here is that we would follow the example of this widow in 2 Kings chapter 4, that we remember that, that we're not defined by our doing. We're defined by Jesus and what he's done. We're defined by him. Let's remind ourselves of the gospel. Let's, let's rest and enjoy the light burdens of Jesus. Let's free ourselves from the pressures and the expectations and the comparing. And look, before, before I end, and, and as we do every Sunday, uh, we're, I'm going to pray. The band is going to come up, and we're going to step into a time of communion, which I'll walk us through in a moment. But before I do that, I, I want to share something with you. I know that, that on Mother's Day, we can find ourselves in different places, right? Like, like for some of us, this is a day of celebration. But I know for others, this is a day of pain and grief. I know before kids, when we were walking through infertility and miscarriages, this was not an enjoyable day for us. This was not a time that we looked forward to, right? So I know we find ourselves in different places. So I want to share a prayer for you written by a woman named Amy Young for wherever you are on this day. She writes, to those who gave birth this year to their first child, we celebrate with you. To those who lost a child this year, we mourn with you. To those who are in the trenches with little ones every day and wear the badge of food stains, we appreciate you. To those who experienced a loss this year through miscarriage, failed adoptions, or running away, we mourn with you. To those who walk the hard path of infertility, fraught with pokes and prods, tears and disappointment, we walk with you. Forgive us when we say foolish things. We don't mean to make this harder than it is. To those who are foster moms, mentor moms, and spiritual moms, we need you. To those who have warm and close relationships with your children, we celebrate with you. To those who have disappointment, heartache, and distance with your children, we sit with you. To those who lost their moms this year, we grieve with you. To those who experienced abuse at the hands of your mother, we acknowledge your experience. To those who lived through driving tests, medical tests, and the overall testing of motherhood, we are better for having you in our midst. To those who will have emptier nests in the upcoming year, we grieve and rejoice with you. To those who are pregnant with new life, both expected and surprising, we anticipate with you. This Mother's Day, 
we walk with you. Mothering is not for the faint of heart. We have real warriors in our midst. We remember and appreciate all of you. Let me pray for us. As we step into this moment of prayer, I want to encourage the Christians in the room as we do every single Sunday before we celebrate communion. Take a moment and, and prepare your hearts for this time. Spend some time alone with Jesus in his presence, praying, seeking forgiveness, repenting, worshiping, and enjoying the blessings of being a child of God. And Christians in the room, as you are ready, as you feel led, as the band plays, you can go up on either side of the sanctuary, on either side of the room, we have the elements of these tables. You, you take the cup, you take the bread, we eat, we drink, and we remember and we celebrate what Jesus has done for us, the salvation that he alone provides. If you're not, if you're here and you're, you're not yet a believer, this time isn't for you, but I want to let you know that it can be. Jesus' table is open to all. His arms are open to all who would repent and follow after him and call out to the Lord. And I ask you to do that. Let today be the day of your salvation. As I pray, you want to do that. You want to put your faith in Jesus. There's no magic words, no magic formula. You say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I want to believe in you. I want to trust in you for your salvation. And pray for us. Jesus, we thank you for who you are, Lord, for, for all the the many little miracles that you work in our lives every single moment of every day, Jesus. God, you're so good to us. Lord, so often we are like this widow, broken, sitting in the midst of our despair, of our pain, of our suffering, of our struggles, and we have nothing. We have nothing to bring. And Lord, that's exactly when you work. You don't want us to bring you don't want us to do. Lord, you just want us to be with you and watch you work. So just I pray that we would. I pray that we would bring our burdens. We would bring our struggles. We would bring all the things that weigh us down, Lord. And we would live in your easy burden. Lord, I pray that you give us the strength to walk in obedience to you today, Lord, that you would, you would empty us out so that we could be used for your purpose and your glory, Jesus. Give us a heart and mind to see the times and the moments where we can just we can just shut the door. We can shut the door to all that we have going on and just be with you, Lord. I thank you. I praise you. I give you all the praise and glory today, Lawrence, in your powerful name we pray. Amen.